my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. All right, welcome to the Beach Commute podcast. Today I've got a super fun guest. His name is Murray LaBrew. He is from South Africa. He's one of my personal favorite digital nomad friends. Don't tell anyone else. But Murray and I have traveled um, a bunch together. You'll hear some fun stories, um, but I'm just going to jump right in, Murray. What's up? Hi. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Murray's, Murray's nervous about all the questions I'm going to ask him today, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. So Murray, let everybody know um, a little bit about yourself. Where are you today and where you're from, all the good stuff. Okay. I'm a, I have been a digital nomad for three years now. I'm a software developer. Uh, currently, I'm in Cape Town in, uh, in Greenpoint in Cape Town, enjoying the, the terrible winters that Cape Town has. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. I made Murray turn off. He's got a space heater to keep him warm because it's winter in South Africa and it's warm where I am. I made him turn it off because it sounded loud with the podcast. So if you hear like teeth, teeth chattering, um, I might have made Murray freeze. But it is winter in South Africa. You've Greenpoint. That's not where you normally are. Have you? You've moved. I actually just got here on uh, on Saturday. This Saturday. Uh, because of coronavirus and everything, it's made the traveling outside of South Africa a little bit difficult. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, South Africa is a bit difficult to travel from at the moment. But uh, so I've just used the opportunity now to travel around South Africa for a bit and just see my own country. And uh, Greenpoint is just in the city center of uh, Cape Town with everything around it, a bunch of small, cool cafes. So it's a nice place to settle for a bit. Sounds nice. I've been trying to get to South Africa. I've been promising you I've been going to go for a long time. And one of these days I will, but COVID has definitely made it difficult. And I know you've been locked in your country for quite some time. So nomading has been this neat, though, that you're making the most of everywhere within South Africa. So let's back up, Murray. I guess for everyone listening, Murray and I first met in 2018, I think it was. Uh, we lived together in Thailand for a month and then traveled to Myanmar, met back up in Panama later. But we're gonna we're gonna get to some fun stories from there. But I want to rewind first of how did you become a digital nomad? So you're in South Africa, like you've graduated, you're working, and how did you get from there to traveling the world with a remote job? Well, uh <laughs> like 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 a lot of these big, loaded uh, questions. <laughs> big life decisions start. Uh, mine started with a breakup. <laughs> ah um, yes, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was lucky at the time that that I had already had a uh, a job that I could do remotely. I was I was doing software development for a, a company based in in the UK. Um, and then after my breakup, my my brother actually invited me to go visit him all the way in Scotland. I went to go stay with him for a bit. And obviously, while I was there, I had to think about coming back. And then thinking about coming back, I was wondering, but but why am I going back? <laughs> why not just keep doing this? Um, so obviously, it wasn't as, as quick as all that. I, I still had things to come back to for a while and um, had some, some things to settle here. But uh, about a year and a half after that, I had sold all my things and decided that's yeah. what I wanted to do. Go ahead. What are you going to say and then I'll ask? Uh, I think uh, one of the, the things that made me think about it as well is uh, I think Google was just listening to my conversations and uh, I was getting adverts for uh, Remotia at the time. And I looked at Remotia yes. and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Um, but also just not exactly that. <laughs> so that made me made me go in and search for more options and I found Wi-Fi Tribe and then I was uh, looking at what Wi-Fi Tribe was doing. I was thinking that's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, since then, my my plans have evolved. Uh, my style has evolved a lot, but that's that's what what got me into it. 
Yeah. That's funny, Mark. You and I have a very similar story, and Google is very smart. But I think I actually had one of my best friends from college who we we both loved to travel, um, but we had just kind of like had our jobs and you know would go together for a week or two here and there. Mm. She sent me an article about remote year as well. I think, and for me, for people listening who don't know what that is, um, it's a little bit more flexible now. But back when you and I were probably both looking at it, kind of like 2016, 2017 timing, uh, or maybe even 2018. It was really like you had to go for 12 months of the year and it was a group of people who all had remote jobs and lived for a month at a time um, for the 12 months of the year in a different country. And for me, first of all, it was like super exciting because I was like, excuse me, people li- people are doing this. People live like this. What? Like it kind of opened my eyes. But it was also, you know, they were going to countries maybe I had already been to or I didn't necessarily want to you know, spend a full month of my year where they were going I didn't know if I even wanted to do it for a full year. There's a lot of things that weren't flexible. And that's why I found Wi-Fi Tribe as well. Um, so we met. So I want to get into uh, the tribe and, and that first thing in a minute. But before we do, can you talk us through that year and a half um, where you've like realized, okay, I've been living in Scotland, like in Scotland, I'm working remotely, I can do this. What were like, you already had the remote jobs, so you had, you know, a hard part checked off. What were those things that you had to like, you said, like the tie the loose ends and settle up and figure out because that's the the point that is actually really hard for so many people. So what were those things that you had to do to then start traveling? Well, I had my house that I was in a rental contract with. I had <laughs> okay. uh, I had a car that I couldn't just leave, um, all the, the right. furniture that I owned. Uh, one of the the big obstacles that I had to, to get through, I don't want to call it an obstacle, but... Uh, Things that could have uh, stopped my plans was I had uh, two cats at the time. Your cats, yeah. I, <laughs> I know we have uh, different styles of how we've approached this. Well, I want to talk about <laughs> cats. It's an important part. So yeah, talk about all of it. So what did you do with the house, the car, the cats, your stuff? Yeah, talk us through it. So a, a big part of of uh, another big thing I had to overcome was just the the mental preparation of of can I do this should I do this am I going to yeah. enjoy it um and I've got to say my friends and family were, were a great help in that and <laughs> and just kind of forcing me into it saying yes obviously yeah. you should do this um but then that's amazing uh, because a lot of families can actually be the preventative where like families are scared or don't want you to leave or you know don't yeah. want you to be away so that's awesome that you had a family to kind of like kick you out and be supportive of this absolutely i mean i don't think i would have ever done it if it wasn't for <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome so so they convinced me to to do all of this and uh, thinking back and i don't know how i i I've always assumed that I was going to make a plan with the cats. And by the time I, I had sold all my things, I had entered, entered my rental contract and I was about two weeks away from leaving and I still didn't have a plan for the cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the hardest part. Complete deal breaker for me because I wasn't going to, if I couldn't find them a nice home, I, I wasn't leaving. You know? So about two yeah. weeks before I was supposed to leave, still I was unsure. Um, and then luckily out of nowhere, uh, school friend that I haven't spoken to in about 10 years just messaged me <laughs> on Facebook saying I, I see you're she was actually messaging a, another friend of mine and didn't even realize it was my cats that she was taking uh and it's <laughs> all wow <laughs> yeah and uh yeah then she found a nice home for them she had three kids they were super happy to see them to to get the cats and uh two weeks later I was off um, I love it's like the universe just brings you what you need in that moment. But um, I know you and I have had a lot of conversations. And for anyone listening, like pets are a very real thing. So I have a cat. Um, I travel full time and I've had people stay in my home, like renting my home for me and take amazing care of him. My parents have kept him for a couple months here and there, even though they did not want to. Um, but I just like it's, it's a hard part because my heart I'm like, I, I it, it definitely is the hardest part for me of, of trying to find, you know, an amazing person to take care of him while I'm gone, while it's still important for me to travel. And you took the route of like, I'm going to find them a permanent home. They're no longer mine. And you had them for, was it seven years? Did I get that number right? I think they were they were eight at the time. They were eight years old at the time. All right. I was really yeah. close. I'm a good yeah. friend. Um, <laughs> well done. I'm impressed. But like... 
Thank you. I, I do listen. Um, but that is a really, really, really hard thing to do. And so for anyone listening, if you have a pet, you know, you have to think through what's really important in your life. Do you want to, you know, have someone watch them while you're gone and come back a certain amount of time? So there's all different ways to do it. But um, I, I think it's just really important. Everything you said of like, you have to mentally prepare to, to make this your life. And that's actually the hard part and all of these little logistics that go along. So um, all right. So you, you've settled all this away. You said you had two weeks to before you were leaving. Where were you going to? Had you booked a flight already? Was this the first Wi-Fi chapter, chapter that you did? Yeah. Tell us what, what this process looked like and how did you decide where were you going first? So it was actually a bit of a, a slow start for me. Uh, I didn't immediately go overseas. <laughs> <laughs> After I sold everything in my house, I still had my car and I wasn't entirely <laughs> living out of a backpack yet. Uh, I had stuffed my car full of, of the things that I had uh, left over <laughs> because <laughs> as much as I, I still uh, threw things away or gave things away, I still had about a car full of things that I thought I was going to need. <laughs> Um, it's funny how you start to dwindle down and really, really realize what you do need. Every time I pack my bag, I still today, I pack my bag and I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. You were traveling. You had a big, heavy bag when I first met you and you're like, why do I have all of this stuff? <laughs> so sounds like you still keep making progress. <laughs> still a little bit, but one day I'm going to get rid of that bag. <laughs> still have it. You can do it. So where'd you drive around to in your first little stint? So... Yeah, then I then I drove down to, to Cape Town. I found myself a, a new small little place right next to the beach in Cape Town, in actually just on the outskirts of Cape Town, in a place called uh, Blauberg Strand. Uh, and uh, stayed there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was joking, Mary. I can never understand what he's saying, <laughs> but it sounds like a very cool place. The, the American way of saying this is uh, Blauberg Strand. <laughs> Thank you. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to this place. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful place. It's a really nice place. As the the first place I went to, it's right on the beach, um, and it was it was already just such a change for me. Um, but even from then, I stayed there for a while, for a couple of months, uh, meeting some new people and just kind of getting used to this whole being right. being free traveling thing. And uh, <laughs> After that, yeah, I went to go to visit my sister for a bit. She stayed, she was a um, an oncologist. Uh, so she stayed in the middle of, of a big uh, game park in South Africa and a, a research camp, so it's not even where the, where the tourists are. And she had an extra room, so I went to go stay with her for a bit, uh, worked from the, the felt. There were elephants right outside my, my door. Did they have is there good enough Wi-Fi in the middle of this game park for that? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a, can I go there? <laughs> but luckily at the time I was my, my job at the time I didn't really need that strong of a Wi-Fi I could get away with right. with just uh, voice calls no video calls and I didn't have nice. that many of them so I was, I was a little bit lucky at, at this stage <laughs> that's awesome and by the way did your employee did you have to like get um, permission from anybody to do this or you just were like this is what I'm doing I'm still working all is good uh, no, I didn't get, I didn't need to get permission. My employer was happy with different time zones from as the As long start. as you got the yeah. work done. As long as I yeah, got the work done. Because you're already in different places. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So you've traveled around South Africa a little bit. When did you then make the leap to go to a different country? How did that work? Where were you? What'd you do? Actually making the decision. I can't remember what was, what was actually that, that trigger that, that did it for me. Uh, I do remember <laughs> I, I applied and, and had my interview with, with Wi-Fi Tribe while I was here in the in the bushveld uh, with the, the terrible internet. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was having a, a barbecue with my sister at night, and uh, we, were, we were busy barbecuing. And then I said, "Oh, I quickly have to go do my interview." Ran inside, did the interview, carried on, continued with the barbecue. Uh, that's awesome but, and real quick i just want to say for anyone um wondering we, we were talking about wi-fi tribe but it's basically where we talked about remote year where you have to like commit to a full year and you go for a month at a time with other digital nomads to live and, and work wi-fi tribe is similar except you can do it for one month at a time so you know every month they're in maybe three to four different locations um in different part you know different country different place in the world so you basically can say you know for this month i'm going to go to lisbon for this month i'm going to go to thailand for this month i'm going to go to 
Panama, you know, wherever it is you want to go. So you can just kind of hop in and join for a month and you have to interview to be, um, you know, to show that you have a remote job and that you'd be a good member of the community because it's, it's really, really awesome people. So that's what Murray's talking about with this interview to join the tribe. So you've done this now at night in the middle, in the middle of the bush, as you say, we don't say that in the U.S., but I love it. Um, yeah. So I guess you, you got accepted, spoiler alert, because that's where we met. Um, so yeah, where'd you go? Is that kind of your first trip that you did abroad was with the tribe? That was my first trip abroad, yes. So my my very first trip was to Portugal in Lisbon. Um, but it's actually a funny story. I had I had all these plans because this was all very new to me and I wasn't sure exactly how I'm going to do this. And I wanted to go to, <laughs> to uh, countries where I knew I was going to meet people. And that's also a big reason why I was doing it with Wi-Fi Tribe. I wanted to be sure that I was going to meet people. And I had this whole plan set out. And the whole thing just fell apart. <laughs> it's because of all your visas, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, South Africa, I will say, you guys have diff- difficult visa issues that, um, one of the more difficult countries, I feel. Yeah, definitely. We have to jump through a, a few more hoops, uh, especially with, with European countries and North American countries. Uh, it's a bit more difficult. South America is, is great. That's why I love South America so much. It's easy. <laughs> Yes. Um, that's actually your passport visa issues were a reason we ended up in Panama together. We'll get there. But um, yeah, so talk us through what were like the initial plans that you thought you had and then what ended up happening? Because I think it's a fun story to be like, all right, we just got to wing it. You you figure it out as you go. And you, you're a great example of that. <laughs> so what happened? So originally my plan was I was going to go to Lisbon and do the Wi-Fi tribe chapter there. And then I'm going to go to yep. Barcelona, do the Wi-Fi tribe chapter there, and then go to... Um, I can't even remember what the third place was, but also somewhere in, in Europe and, and it's all together and it's this nice little set plan. A three month visa, <laughs> spend one month in each country. Then originally my my visa got denied. <laughs> and <laughs> I had to I had to appeal this because um, and this was also just a really dumb decision of me of mine because <laughs> I I told them I, I didn't want to tell them I'm going to be working in the country. So I made this dumb decision to say, I'm going to uh, rent this hotel. And, and I just booked a hotel that I was going to, to cancel. But I, I didn't actually see how much the hotel is going to cost if I actually do go to the hotel. So I showed them, I'm going to stay at this hotel, which is going to cost me $50,000. And here's my $1,000 in the bank account. <laughs> 50, 50000 <laughs> It was something ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so to be clear, I just want to clarify. So your plan, you have to show um, like accommodations of where you're going to be staying to like get this visa. So you just book something that you knew you could cancel, but it ended yeah. up being a $50,000 charge and they actually check your like bank accounts to make sure you have enough to pay for what you say you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the lessons we learn. Lessons we learn, right? Have, yeah, I've had a couple of hard lessons with the visa problems over the years. <laughs> Well, everybody listening, you can save them a lot of trouble along the way. No, no, this, this might happen for you. So don't book a $50,000 hotel. Book something that will be affordable within the money you have in your bank account. Lesson, lessons learned from Murray number one. <laughs> so what happened? So then I had to appeal the decision and I had to change my, my accommodation. And I found all the, these cheap accommodations. And I actually found someone um, working for, for Wife Tribe, um, uh, that said I was going to stay with her personally at, a, at her parents' house and just had to jump through all these hoops and it got appealed to the, the higher up at the, the visa <laughs> embassy. And uh, eventually they said, okay, they've approved it, but only for one month. By this time, I was already two weeks late for the first Wi-Fi Tribe chapter. So I, I arrived only for the last two weeks of it. And then after that, I only had two weeks left to do the next one in Barcelona. So... <laughs> So that, that is an unusual circumstance. Most people do full chapters of each. <laughs> <laughs> so then I decided, okay, I still wanted to do the the, the whole Wi-Fi tribe thing. I was still a bit worried of, about going on out of my own. So I looked at, okay, where else uh, does Wi-Fi tribe offer chapters? And that's where I decided, okay, I'm going to go to Thailand now. Which 
thank goodness <laughs> that all of this happened because this is where we met. We, we might never have met otherwise. Thank the Portuguese embassy. <laughs> <laughs> and the universe, Marin. The universe and is the just universe. putting us together. <laughs> just joking. Marie, I always talk about that. He's like, stop it with the universe. Um, but I, I am super glad. After that, I had plans to go to, to Costa Rica because that was the only one, only chapter after, after uh, Thailand that was still available. But after flying all the way from, from Barcelona to Thailand and then realizing, <laughs> wow, this is going to be very difficult going all the way to Costa Rica again after staying a month in Thailand, <laughs> that also changed. So, and, and from that point on, it was just downhill. Um, just going wherever. <laughs> downhill. <laughs> downhill as in a, a fun slide. Yeah, just going wherever. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, it got worse when you met me. It was just downhill after I met Marissa. Um, no, that's awesome. And I think, um, so then I want to I wanna jump into Thailand and our adventures in Asia. Um, but real quick, because you've, you've been touching on this, and, and you and I were similar in this way as well. When we first got started, like, really fully nomading, uh, we've both kind of taken trips here and there, but um, we both joined Wi-Fi Tribe because it was an easy way to kind of have an immediate community of really amazing people. Um, so, because I know even after the first one or two, we were like, you know, I still kind of wanted that chapter feeling. Can you just explain like what that's like and why that was important to you? And now how, like we've both evolved where we both kind of jump, do sometimes chapters, sometimes just with friends, but talk about why that was important and easy for you. So I think in the in the beginning, it it was um, it was calming a lot of my fears about this whole mission that I'm undertaking about traveling somewhere. Am I going to meet anyone? Am I going to? Uh, how do I make friends in a in a completely different country? I know a lot of people yeah. move somewhere and and for years don't have friends. So how am I going to make friends <laughs> in such a short time? Yeah. Um, am I even going to enjoy it if I don't have people around me? Am I going to have a uh, good Wi-Fi and a uh, place to work? And what if I don't understand the language? And I think this was just um, calming a lot of those fears, those original fears. And uh, yeah. so over time, you, you realize, okay, this is this is a lot easier than, than you originally expected. And, and now I can yeah. start doing it on my own. And it's... It's uh, still very, uh, very nice to do it, like through through something like Wi-Fi Tribe, because you you meet a lot of people and it's easier and and it, it helps a lot through through those those steps and it's still a lot of fun people that you meet, but it doesn't become necessary anymore after a while. Yeah. I think that's um, such a great point because I have the same where everyone has like every individual who's thinking about becoming a nomad has really different fears or, you know, everyone has their own kind of unique fears and thoughts or the things, you know, might be a cat or fear of being alone, fear of safety, whatever it is. Right. So for me, it also wasn't like a safety thing. It wasn't a fear of traveling or being away. It was the same of like. I just want to be around people that I like really quickly. And I don't want to be alone across the world, just not enjoying travel by myself. Um, so for me, Wi-Fi Tribe is also, it's like the second you get there, it's just like this magical built-in group of friends where, you know, I think about when we got to Thailand, I think there was maybe 12 of us there, but I met you and it's like five seconds later. It's, I think that night, we were talking about the first night, <laughs> we ended up sitting on the on the street in Thailand with cats for like four hours chatting, but we, it's we, like, we all went... right, I have this like new friend. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was the first night we were, the night that we met, we sat on the street talking until four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And I think that's, <laughs> that's the, the kind of relationships that you make during this during all of that, you know, it's, it's special. Yeah, exactly. It's built in because we were living in the same house. I think there was like five of us in this house and we all kind of like went out that night, like literally the day you get there. I remember arriving on a Friday. I'd been by myself, like I had took a, I came from Indonesia and I had been like a week kind of traveling a little bit by myself in Thailand and that in between the two chapters got to Chiang Mai where we were living. And then it's like, all right, here's friends. Like I've just moved in and um, it's, there's something really special about that. So let's talk about Thailand. Yeah. So the first night we met, we stayed up till I forgot. It was like 4am. I think we all went out. We were walking home. There was like two stray cats or a stray cat on the street, which obviously <laughs> Murray and I both like cats. <laughs> and we sat there, just like sat on the ground petting this cat until I think we almost got ran over. Maybe that's why we, why we, we did. left. I think that's, that's the only reason we went back inside. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry. We were like literally lying in the middle. It was a street where our house was kind of like off of a main road where like no one really drove. And then we were, we literally almost got run over as we're like lying on the ground, like petting these cats. <laughs> we were discussing it saying, this is probably really dangerous, but uh, no one's going to drive here. <laughs> And about an hour later, we almost got driven over. <laughs> yes, we did. Lessons learned. So Thailand, let's talk about Thailand. And then Murray and I went to Myanmar. I convinced him to come with me there because I really wanted to go. And this is the fun. Like once you're on a chapter, you meet people, then you can kind of, you know, you, you meet friends who will go on fun adventures with you elsewhere. Um, but Thailand, talk about, let's talk about Chiang Mai for a second because it's a hot spot for digital nomads. It's not my personal favorite, which is really controversial. <laughs> But what was your thought of, of Chiang Mai and Thailand and our experience there? Honestly, I, I don't remember a lot of Chiang Mai because I think <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those those, uh, those trips where I think that the people I met and the food I ate was, was the highlights for me, were the highlights for me. And, I uh, agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was Thailand, I think that Thailand has the be- like, maybe there's countries with other better food. I haven't traveled everywhere in the world. I've been to, I think, over 60 countries. But uh, Thailand, for me so far, has been like the best food I have eaten anywhere in the world. And it's like the little stands on the street. It's the hole in the wall places, the night markets that are just like so good. Which is amazing that you say that because you were vegan at the time. I, I don't know if you're still <laughs> yeah. vegan. Uh, <laughs> I stopped. I am no longer full vegan, but I was at the time. And Asia was actually very easy to um, to live as a vegan. But in Thailand, all the most of the the streets uh, markets and things that just sell meat on a stick, <laughs> <laughs> and like amazing pad thai with the yeah, best food. Yeah, yeah. So Marina used to. I would say I don't know. It felt like four out of seven nights, maybe more for dinner every week. There was this little. This little stand that was probably a block and a half, not even from our house that we would, me and Leah, we'd go walk and get pad thai. I think it cost the equivalent of like 75 cents US dollar um, for like the best pad thai I'd ever had in my life. We would just eat it, take it home, sit on the floor in our home. That's kind of the memory I have of Thailand, of Chiang Mai. <laughs> yeah. With just multiple, multiple different dishes because it's so cheap. We would just, we would buy the tab, pad thai and then also everything else <laughs> and come home like with this mountain of food, food. <laughs> it just pack it out on the yeah. floor sit around it and <laughs> yeah and it is funny because people i know so many nomads love chiang mai because the cost of living is really really low there's a lot of other people from all over the world digital nomads who are there just to work and live there's a great community, but everyone's experience is different. And for our month there, it really was about, you know, we had some great friendships um, for, for people that we had in our chapter. And we spent a lot of time just like literally eating the best Thai food, just like in our house, probably not exploring as much as we should. But we had a, we had all been doing a lot of travel and sometimes you just kind of need a break. And that's what Chiang Mai was for us. We had some other adventures up to um, Pai, which is in the mountains north of Thailand, to um, a couple of other places, like within a couple hours of Chiang Mai, but yeah, mostly it was the it was the food and the friends for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. But with that, I think one of my favorites, one of my favorite places I've ever been in the whole world is Myanmar. To this day, still, no matter how many places I go. So you and I did that trip solo together. I yeah. say solo together. Solo like together. The, <laughs> two of us with, with, with twelve other friends. We were, we were so inseparable. Um, it was solo. <laughs> solo as both of us you know what I mean here inseparable um but one of my favorite well actually not favorite moments but very memorable moments was the day so Murray and I decided maybe like seven days before we actually were gonna go we booked our flights got our visas which was much easier than most visa places I think we heard back in a day or two and comes like we're packing up our stuff like the end of the chapter to Friday we're done working packing our bags getting ready to go. And Murray's like, Marissa, I remember you came to me and you're like, I, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like I, you're like, I cannot find my passport anywhere. And I was like, 
Oh gosh. So all of that started going through my house. Marissa only booked the, the Myanmar trip because I was going with. <laughs> yes, I really wanted to go, but it is one of those places where it's pretty unknown. There's not tons of digital nomads. Um, there are some, you know, a lot of um, things going on in like the borders of the country that's not necessarily safe. It's a lot of, you know, what people hear about that country. So I was like, great, you know, I'll, I, I might have gone alone, but there's definitely parks that we had, we had like a two day trek plans, like in the middle of nowhere. I wouldn't have gone to all the different places we had planned to go probably if I was going to myself, myself, or I mean, I might've gotten on the ground and like felt it out and then seen. But so as Murray's telling me this, my first thought, it's like, okay, if he doesn't find his passport, like do what you were going to have to go to the, um, I think fly to Bangkok to go to the consulate and like get a new passport. It's like, there was no way you were leaving Thailand. So my thought process was, okay, do I still want to go? Am I going to get on this flight in three? Like, I think we're leaving the house two hours from them. I was like, am I going to get on this flight? If so, maybe I'll just go and like not do all the things we're going to do. I was just like, you know, I'm somebody who is like, all right, this is what's happening. So what am I, you know, what action am I going to take? I don't freak out. I don't cry. I don't whatever. It's just like, literally, what am I going to do? So as I'm thinking through this, like, there's five of us scouring our house to find your passport. (laughs) And it took, like, we really didn't think it was going to happen. I think it, it was over an hour we were looking at it. I was I was giving <laughs> up, really. I was saying to everybody, look, I've looked everywhere in this house. It's not in this house. I lost it. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we tore, like, bags apart. And everyone was packed up, so it wasn't, like, there was only so many places. We were looking in, like, kitchen yeah. cabinets. Like, where is this passport? So eventually, our friend Alexis, thank you, Alexis, if you're listening, found her passport. It was like in a weird back pocket of your backpack where it must have like, like, we didn't, you didn't even know this pocket. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a real pocket. It was just like between the straps of the bag and the bag itself. (laughs) It was just stuck in there. Oh, only you. I think I held your passport the rest of our time from, from there to the airport to Myanmar. I was like, you, you give me this. I'm not letting it go. But so we found the passport. It was literally within the last like 15 minutes before we had to catch a taxi to the airport. Um, so we got there. We flew. We ended up, um, we got in late at night and we had plans to go, we had to fly into a place called Yangon, which isn't even somewhere we meant to go, but just with the flights we had like booked in the day we were going, we had to fly through here. Um, so this actually turned, this is why I love travel so much, right? Like what turned <laughs> in is just like an accidental, we're like, all right, we have a layover here for like 12 hours. We're just going to like book a hotel. We'll just sleep here. You know, I think our, we had to be at the hotel, I mean the, the airport at like six in the morning for our next flight. Um, but instead we landed and we went to see, I forget, they had this like temple pagoda, I guess you call it. Um, that yeah. was like one of the most famous ones in Myanmar. Yeah. 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 I forgot the, the name of it. It's, I think it's something like Yangon pagoda or, but if you, if you, <laughs> if you Google Yangon, it's the first thing that comes up. <laughs> yeah. It was really epic. So we went like, I think the epitome of you and I as travelers, everybody's got a different travel style. I think you've got the people who are like, Super type A, have a plan, research all the things. You and I are just like fly by the seat of our pants kind of travelers, which is not always good when there's two of you. Yeah, which is which is another reason why I like uh, traveling with a group like in, in Wi-Fi Tribe because there's always someone else organizing <laughs> things for you and, and you just get it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. There's always better. T- we had a couple of really great, really great uh, planners, Natalie, Katie, if you're listening <laughs> Um, who were in Thailand with us. They were, they were really great. I'm definitely capable of it. I just generally choose, um, I just generally choose not to. Yeah. So as we get there, our fly by the, fly by the seat of our pants traveling style, we decide, I don't remember what time it was, but it might've been like nine o'clock or something. It was dark. It was late. It was late. Um, yeah. We were like, yeah, I don't even know if we researched what time it closed. We, we might have and saw we had like 30 minutes. We're like, all right, we're just going to run. We're going to go see it. We haven't eaten anything, but like we got to get here before it closes. We'll find some food afterwards. So we go into this place. They made us, I don't know if you know, remember this. There's like a bunch of different entry points to get into. It's like a giant like gold beautiful like pagoda and um the entry point we found ourselves in i don't know how it got dropped off at we had to leave our shoes do you remember this yeah (laughs) yeah so you're you're required to take your shoes off and the point of this is that like all the gates were closing afterwards when we were leaving and um we weren't sure if 
like I feel like we couldn't find our shoes at the end of it. But anyway, there are multiple exits and they all look the same. So we're trying to find which exit Everything is the one with our shoes. Exactly the same. Yeah, we do not speak the language. Cannot read the language. I don't even know if we had SIM cards like in our phone to have phone service there. I don't, know, I don't remember, but. <laughs> Yeah, so this, we're like at a, like this is just like yeah, epitome of us. So we're shoeless, like walk up all these stairs, go around in this pagoda. I remember it was actually like a really amazing place, amazing feeling. And I remember just being kind of in awe. And I was like, Maria, I'm going to sit down here and meditate for a little bit. So I was just, I don't know, I, I like that, but I just was like feeling. I was like, I just want to like take this all in. And you went and walked around. You came back with this monk that you had found. Uh, <laughs> This is one of my all-time favorite stories. So why don't you walk us through? Yeah, tell them where you where you took me to with this monk when I came back from my meditation. So I met this monk, and and he just started <laughs> telling me he could speak English relatively well, and he started telling me about uh, everything that we were seeing at the temple and and what they were for and what it means. And and then I stopped him and I said, "Whoa, um, Marissa would want to see this, so let's go get Marissa." <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Marissa comes and she joins us and uh, he, he carries on and he tells us about everything. And at the end, he says, okay, now come with me. And uh, he takes us to this other <laughs> monk who, who's sitting on this, on the, on this carpet and, and also meditating. And, and you can see this, this is an important guy, right? So he says... Uh, I did feel that way. He did yeah. feel like a very important person. Yeah. So, so he says, go sit in front of them. And, uh, but this, this other monk doesn't speak any English, right? And um, he says, I will ask him to bless you. Yes. And and also to set, to set the scene here, it's like 10 p.m. at night. Things are closing and dark. There's like nobody else here. So I'm just going to put that out there while we've been taken yeah. to this point. It's <laughs> important people here. to bless us. <laughs> <laughs> now Marissa and I are sitting here cross-legged in front of this, this monk. And, and he starts praying over us and splashing with some water and putting his hands on us and... Uh, we think this is great. We're we're getting blessed. We don't understand a word, but this is amazing. But we are getting blessed. And, <laughs> and uh, afterwards, the the uh, the first monk that we that we met, he said, "Okay, cool. You he's done. Uh, now you two will never get divorced." <laughs> I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. You two will now never be. Or yeah, he said. Yeah, you'll never be divorced. We'll we never like, be divorced. What? You'll stay married forever and ever. <laughs> when we looked at you, I will never forget this moment. We looked at each other, and my first thought was like, "Did he just marry us, or does he, <laughs> does he think we're already married?" And he's like wishing us a happy like. Uh, like uh, life together forever, but we judged after that. I was like, Murray, I think I think we're married now. I think we just got married in Myanmar. It's true. We have not gotten divorced yet. I think we're still married. <laughs> that is true. We have not gotten divorced. So we're unsure if we're. We might be married. It's it's really an unclear question that we don't. We might not. We'll never know the answer. But we are not divorced. <laughs> But yeah, that was definitely, you just never know what will happen in the countries that you go to. <laughs> and it's always, um, I just like love that story so much because to me with travel, it's like you can know, you can plan the things, like the places you think you're supposed to go and the things you're supposed to do, but it's always just the spur of the moment, weird things that are just like the most fun, funny, memorable and you're a great travel buddy because after that, I, I'm really a fan of very easygoing people because travel, like, you just never know what you're going to get. So after Mari and I have been accidentally married, we are trying to leave. We're just like, where are we? What are we doing? It's like late. We haven't eaten. We're, we're married. We're shoeless. <laughs> like, what's life? But it's happening. We didn't have a, a SIM card at the time, so we also had to almost hitchhike <laughs> down the road until we found a taxi for about half an hour. And now it's, yes. it's half past 11 at night. We haven't eaten yet. We're trying to find a place just to eat. <laughs> I know. That's why I was saying, like, the easygoing travelers. I think it took us, like, 30 minutes to find the right exit to make, like, we almost didn't find our shoes. Thank goodness we did. Yeah. And then as we are trying to leave, the gates were to the outside were all locked, and the people wouldn't let us out. I remember they were like, you, you, like, you can't go out of this gate. Like, somehow we talked someone into 
I don't know if we went somewhere else or like talked a guard into like letting us out of out of this place. Never mind being in. And then every restaurant we tried to go to was like, we're closed, we're closed. And Marie and I were like, all right, it's now like 11 p.m. We're not going to eat. We might as well just go back to the hotel. We've got a 6 a.m. flight. We found some food on the side of the road, which was probably like 50 cents. Um, and like one of my favorite meals. I kept trying to find whatever it was we ate there. We couldn't figure out what that was. It was something very strange. You liked it. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a win for me. But yeah, those are the strange things. So um, some some great memories. If anyone has a chance to go to Myanmar, it's awesome. Um, the other story, uh, so Murray and I went from there. We went to, um, what, what is it, to Bagan, where we flew in um, hot air balloons over like the old city, which is one of the highlights of anywhere I've ever been in the world. Um, we did a two-day trek to a place called like through the most amazing, beautiful feel like Myanmar is just amazing. It's, it's so pretty, but a two day track where we slept in a monastery and went to, um, to a place called Inlay Lake, went to a balloon festival, um, which maybe we should give a story about that one. I just have to, to, to add a, a section to the story about, uh, just before we went to the, the two day track, uh, we had to take a bus from Bagan to the place where the, the track started oh, and the yes. bus broke down in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were supposed to get there at like one or two in the morning and we yeah. had to take a, um, our track. We had to get up at like 7am to catch this, you know, we hadn't even planned it. We're like, all right, we're going to seven. We're going to find a group track. We'd read, they all left at 8am. This is our like beautiful planning. We're like, we're not going to book anything. We'll just like get there in the morning and figure it out. <laughs> So yeah, our bus broke down at like one or three in the morning or something. We had to switch buses in the middle of the night. Like I was, I, that was one point where uh, of all the travels I've done, I, I don't usually have much fear, but in the bus, I think you and I both like our, st- everything we own is beneath this yeah. like Greyhound style bus. We're like, did someone just pull over to like steal all of our stuff? <laughs> like what, what is happening? It all ended up okay, yeah. but we didn't. I remember we had booked a, um, a hotel to just to sleep for like a couple hours that night. We got there, yeah. literally showered. I think we took like a 10 minute nap and then it's like go on like a 20 mile hike. About quarter to eight. And the, the hiking, we had to, we had to be there at half past eight uh, to start at nine o'clock. And I think we arrived. <laughs> <laughs> we, we joined them at just before nine. This is now we started a full day hike after having not slept the entire night. <laughs> Yeah, I think we literally slept 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Maria, I'm just going like, to take a nap while you shower. And then you did the same. Like, it was it was minimal. Yeah, for like a, a two-day check of like, I think it was, uh, you, no one else sees his miles except the U.S., but it was like 20 miles. I don't know. What yeah. is that equivalent of like kilometers? I don't know. It was yeah, long. It was a long track. It was a lot. <laughs> but it was epic. And again, as I look back for anyone listening, like whether you've traveled a lot or not yet, um, these to me, it seems like every time I look back at trips, the things that are just easy and go well and like la da it's never as fun. I look back at like Murray and I's travel in Myanmar, mostly because it was such a disaster, but but it was my, it's like still my favorite. And it's always those think- weird, like your bus breaking down, arriving late. It's, it's always what to me makes travel so amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think a big part of what made it such an amazing trip is just the the amount of things that happened to us and that we did in such a short <laughs> amount of time. Yeah, I, I yeah, this lose track like of everything days. that happened. This and was this a is, quick yeah. trip. <laughs> and we were working some during that too. <laughs> I know, we had like 10 years of experience within six days. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I got to say, And again, several of those days we were working. We, we were, that's true. But we did, um, I remember like we went on the hot air, we did take some days off from work, but we, the morning we did a hot air balloon um, with the time change and everything. We had to be up at like 5.45 a.m. for that. We were back at our hotel by like 9 a.m. or something and then, you know, had a full work day. So it's really yeah. neat, you know, as you think about, you definitely have to plan and be mindful. But as you, as you do these things, it's really neat. Like where else, you know, if I'm just working from home in the U.S. where I'm from, I'm not going to wake up at 5.45 a.m. to go to a hot air balloon in the most epic place in the world I've ever been to and then go have my work day. Like the cool thing is that that is a, a real possibility. And it's yeah. not every day, but it's real. 
Um, so from there, the last Myanmar story I want to share, and then we'll move, we'll move on. Um, but so Murray and I, I feel like this was just like the luck that I say the luck, also bad luck, but the good luck we had. So at the end of our trek, we arrive in this town called, um, it's at this beautiful, amazing lake. It's called Inlay Lake. And we found that there was this like once a year, the biggest balloon festival in the world. It happens to be like on the day that we arrived there. So we had been trekking with like, I want to say it was eight or 10 people. Um, it's really from There's a guy from Taiwan, from France. We didn't even know about this balloon festival yet. So we had met this this group from, from this other travel group from France and they had told us about this. We had no plans. We, our plans were to get to Inlay Lake and, and just <laughs> sleep, go recover, sleep for two days. And they said, oh, the biggest balloon festival in the world. Do you want to join us? So <laughs> I think we just looked yes. at each other and said, yep, yeah, let's do this. We did it though, Mark. So we just got back from like 20 miles of trekking and we were exhausted. And yeah. all, after like five days of like being yeah. up at like 5.45 a.m. every day. And you, I remember we actually sat there. We're like, we know we have to say yes, but like, we're so tired. Like, should we, we did debate for a minute and we decided, like all good travelers, but it is something you have to learn in, in nomad world to, to say no. To say but we no. said yes this time. So tell us, set the scene, what, what was the balloon festival like and what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so the balloon festival was was really great. It's just what you mostly <laughs> expect from, from a big festival. It's got the... the stands and the games and everything but the big part of it is it's like this, a carnival like a carnival yeah but the big part of it Massive is carnival. are these uh hot air balloons that they just fill with with firecrackers and they send it, send it up into <laughs> into the area and then just shoot off all the firecrackers but <laughs> i don't know if any of this is is planned or or if it went wrong or if this is how it's supposed to be um but this is one of my favorite stories Partly because I, <laughs> I had recorded the whole thing happening. <laughs> it's all on video. Uh, so we're gonna have to share this video. <laughs> <laughs> I'll absolutely share it. I still look at it every now and then. Uh, so I'm recording this this hot air balloon going up, and this thing does not nearly go high up enough for the the crackers <laughs> to be going off. And every single cracker in this balloon just goes off at the same time, and it's it's. <laughs> Armageddon on the ground. <laughs> These are, you call them firecrackers. In the US, we call them fireworks. I don't know if it's like a translation uh, different, yeah. but it's like full on fireworks. If anyone yeah. else is listening, coming out of this balloon, very low to the ground, with thousands of people around. It's just shooting straight down at the ground. There's thousands of people, and everybody just scatters. And there are firecrackers <laughs> exploding at my feet. And through all this, like you can see that the ground just lights up yellow on, on the video as well. And everybody is just scattering. <laughs> and right in the middle of all of this, underneath the, the hot air balloon, in the worst of it all, is this one guy with the artist shirts on swinging it in the air <laughs> like a maniac. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and, I, and you are recording it. <laughs> I, was too, I was too mesmerized to run away. So... <laughs> Afterwards, I'm thinking, I'm looking at this video thinking, wow, I should really have run away from this like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you are. <laughs> and to top that, you and I both knew on the way here that many people die. Like, I, I can't remember the statistic, but there was something like every year it was like one to three people on average die at this balloon festival because they get too close yeah. <laughs> to the fireworks coming out of the balloon. And I had actually like witnessed one. So this, it, it is a thing. And you were almost one of those statistics. We're not, <laughs> but um, it's not like there's just one of them. Like there's like hundreds of them that go off like over the course of the night. Some are bigger than others. But that particular one, I remember, I, I think I had gone with a friend to like go find a bathroom and it's like just such a crazy crowded place that it took forever. And I, I, I had missed the whole thing. And I came back and you were like, where is that? I almost died. Like you're like showing me the video. And I just, I was very happy you were alive. <laughs> live to tell a story it is an ep we'll have to see if we can like upload it and link it or somehow in the notes but um it was an epic video of a fireworks just, like shooting on top of murray with this like beautiful balloon it is really pretty if you, if you are that close it but it was an amazing view it's spectacle i gotta say 
Yeah. So that's Myanmar. It's like, it's like a third of Myanmar in a nutshell. Uh, there was so much, but if anyone has a chance to go, it is a really awesome country. It is important to note that at the time um, when we were there and still happening on and off, there was um, a lot of the genocide happening. Um, it's mostly like by the border. So we were told like fly into, um, you know, certain places, don't go near the land borders, don't cross by land. Um, yeah, there's, there's yeah. one on there. And they've recently had that um, the coup, so maybe not the, the best time at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we struggled. We had some friends who were thinking about coming with us, and these are just kind of things, like real things to think through as nomads of like with genocide going on there. Um, to think through, like, is this a country we should go go to? Is this a country like? Do you pay money and support something that's going on like this? And there's lots of different um, mindsets about that. You know, some people will say, you know, don't go, don't support a country that is doing something like this. Whereas other people will say, you know, the people that you are interacting with that have nothing to do with this need tourist dollars and live, you know, have, won't survive if, if nobody goes and things like that. So um, there's, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that as you travel, Murray, it's, it's something I think about, but there's, there's no perfect answer. It's a really hard part of, of being a nomad to be responsible in that way yeah yeah i think uh i'm not fully on one side or the other side but i think i'm a little bit on the, on the side that that's um the, the people that you're supporting when you're there are not the people responsible for yeah. for it you know so uh and uh, it, it is them that you're supporting that not so much the the government um and i think yeah. the, the people that were there were just so so happy to to have the foreign, yeah. foreigners there so yeah yeah we met i agree we met some of the most amazing um local people from tour guides like of our hike i remember his name is dixon he was just like a, an epically awesome um person i think a lot of the, the people the locals that we met there were some of the friendliest i've i've met anywhere so yeah it's it's tricky but um just again something to to be mindful of that i wanted to bring up so with that, um, yeah, I know we're, we've been talking for a while. I want to save some room at the end for these rapid fire questions. Well, let me get in. Marie and I also spent, I think, three weeks together in Panama, which I had been, um, I think I was in Nigeria and I was coming back like towards Central South America and Murray again was having visa problems and he was like, Marissa... <laughs> I have to go to Panama City. It was like the only place in Central America where you were. You think you were in Brazil or I was time? I was trying to get a visa to the UK at the time. Um, I was in Guatemala and the closest place to Guatemala oh, right. to, to get a visa for, for the UK was in Panama City. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to Panama City. I was not particularly excited about Panama City. Um but so I decided I'll, I'll go there, do the visa application, fly to Bocas del Toro, um, but also invite Marissa to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. I, think maybe I was supposed to go to Bocas on a Wi-Fi tribe chapter earlier that year. And I think I like changed plans to go somewhere else. So yeah, you just never know. This is the beauty of making friends around the world in different places. And I just, Maria's like, I have to be here. I'm going to go to Bocas for three weeks. We come and I was like, yes, this works perfectly with my schedule. Um, so that was a fun, it was a little less eventful than Myanmar. We lived on this little Island called, it was like Red Frog Island um, for, for three weeks. It was a very chill place. Not much there. Completely the opposite vibe of, of Myanmar for our travels. <laughs> <laughs> we were yeah. not doing much there. It was yeah. We had no. to we had to take a boat to to the island that we were staying, and this, this ferry was only going twice a day: once at eleven <laughs> in the morning, and and then once again at four p.m. in the afternoon. So I mean, it was it was so slow getting groceries. We had to go in the morning and then go sit somewhere and work until we can take a ferry back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely island life. We had to plan yeah. around it if we had to get out for Wi-Fi to go to the main island or yeah, to go to anything. Um, but it was definitely a really special place. I loved Red Frog Island. Yeah. And um, yeah, very chill. So again, every place you go to has a different vibe. But um, all right, Maria, I want to take some time to ask some of these rapid fire questions. Um, just going to ask, or maybe not even rapid fire, but just a couple of questions at the end. Okay. Um, what do you think is the hardest part about just like in general, not becoming a digital nomad, but like once you've been a, a nomad, what's actually the hardest part or something that like, it's all worth it, but like what's, what's an obstacle or something that's just 
an added layer of difficulty about being a nomad? Uh, I think it can get lonely at times because mm -hmm. while you do meet uh, a lot of new people all the time, constantly, uh, I think it is more difficult to make the, the long-term friendships, um, people yeah. to, to see forever. Um, and when you do make them, they live on the other side of the world from you. <laughs> like you um i know i was just thinking as you said that like even if, if you make amazing friends and like we stay in touch often but we, i haven't seen you since panama which was in 2019 so it's yeah. been almost two years since i've actually seen you in person which is yeah. crazy yeah which wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for for covid i would have definitely seen that's you before, true but that's yeah, true that's, and that's... we will i will see you soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe and, and yeah. along that thread as well, um, relationships, I think, are, yeah. I mean, romantic relationships are a lot more difficult because you, you kind of stuck between choosing uh, someone who does the same thing you're doing or settling down as someone or doing long distance. Yeah, that's a valid, a very valid point. We haven't gotten onto that um, in the podcast yet. And I think and definitely we'll, we'll talk about it, but it's, it's, I think, you know, we have a lot of friends who have met partners on the road, traveling in different countries, or, you know, I know people have met local people and settled down in that country. Um, or, but yeah, there's definitely added layers of difficulty. If you meet someone, you might be going different ways, different plans. And um, mm -hmm. what do you do? So yeah, it's not as simple as just meeting someone in a home base where you both are, but it's definitely possible. Um, so the opposite of that, what is the your favorite? <laughs> You're welcome. A plus for your answers, Mary. Um, what is your favorite part? Like when you think about life as a nomad, and obviously you've gone through, you know, a lot of obstacles to get here and make it your life. So I imagine it is is worth it. But as you think about it, like what is the best part where you're just like, I can't believe this is my life. Like, what do you love about being a nomad? Um, this is probably the, the obvious answer, but I think I, I'm someone who, who enjoys change a lot and new things. And yeah. I think just it, it makes my, to me, it makes my life very, very interesting. Um, it makes yeah. me excited for what's the next day going to bring. Who am I going to meet I today? That, yeah. New people, new cultures <laughs> and yeah, just newness all the time yeah there's a lot of newness i know for those it almost feels like a drug people talk yeah. it's like i feel like we get addicted to like new experiences and new things because again if i think back to our six days in Myanmar, we had what would be you know 10 years of newness and new experiences and new people that you know in, in someone's life if you're not living as a nomad so i would i would agree with that as well um, what are three of your favorite places you have lived in as a nomad or, or visited? Well, Myanmar is the obvious option. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I really liked Guatemala. And Guatemala is awesome. Bolivia. Oh, Bolivia. Bolivia yeah, yeah, it's a great one. Bolivia, Guatemala, and Myanmar. Great answers. Um, and if you if you were allowed to leave your country <laughs> ever again, maybe you will. Uh, and COVID is not a thing. We'll pretend yeah. for a second. What are um, like the top place or top couple places that you would be like, or top of your bucket list to get to? Uh, Japan has been at the top for a while. Oh, yes, <laughs> me too. Uh, also, yeah, uh, Mexico or Colombia. Perfect. Yeah. You have a have you not been to either of those yet? Nope. So Mexico and Colombia are actually the only two uh, countries in South and Central America that I do need a visa for. And uh, they're at the top of my list. Those are usually two of the like easiest nomad places that people go to. So it's funny that those are the two left. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only ones we need a visa for, which is why I've been putting it off mostly because I just didn't want to <laughs> go through the visa process again. Oh. <laughs> South Africa, just making it difficult. Um, <laughs> let me know when you go to Mexico. Mexico is easy for me and always one of my favorite countries. Uh, so let me know. I will for sure meet you there. Um, okay, so that was your top places to get to. Um, what's one travel tip you have for if someone's like um, just getting started? Like if you could think back to that moment where you were like packing all your stuff and didn't know anything, had never nomaded. What's one tip you would have for like for for you back then? So something that, that uh, took me almost the three years to learn <laughs> was that <laughs> <laughs> you, um, as, you're, as you're getting all these new experiences and everything is exciting and new, um, it, it does kind of feel like you're on holiday the whole time. And yeah. you've got to be 
disciplined and and you're you're not on holiday you're still uh you're still just living a normal life you can't eat like you're on holiday and you can't spend like you're on holiday <laughs> <laughs> you still need to do your exercise routines uh, and it's it's easy to lose track of that because everything is just new and exciting and you want to go do everything and you want to join everything and you have all this FOMO yeah so you have to you have to learn to say no and you have to learn to remember to keep in your budget and keep doing your exercise routine <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes budget exercise budget exercise <laughs> um yeah it's so real i love that you pointed that out though because when you first get started you know you do have that mindset of like this is like vacation i want to mm. eat at all the best restaurants i want to try all the things i want to do all the things and it's ex- like yeah exhausting both mentally physically financially all of that so you really do have to learn to say no and to set boundaries and stuff and as you said that too it's not vacation we we talked about so many fun travel stories but i realized we actually didn't talk that much about work which really is a big part of digital nomad life um so i want to ask will you just kind of explain like let's say you land whether you know let's say you were to go fly to mexico today or whatever wherever you went to next um what's that transition like of and like what's your kind of day-to-day life like as someone who's actually working and not on vacation because you really do work and and just like as a software engineer and, and what you're doing just explain to someone what your what your work day is like abroad um so i have a i have a strict schedule uh, i work my my normal eight to five hours and i i make sure i stick to that schedule or if i want to go do something uh, in the afternoon that's that's uh, that that will take up that time. I make sure I wake up right. earlier. I don't, um, uh, yeah, I make sure I stick to that, uh, those daily hours, you know? Yeah. And with the jobs that you've had, have you always had to, like, are you, do you have to do those hours because you have calls or like you're expected by an employer to be online and like see that at a certain time? Or is it really just as long as you get your work done, you set those hours to, to have your own boundaries to make sure it gets done? So I've actually had uh, multiple jobs, uh, three three different jobs since I started being a digital wow. nomad. Um, yeah. So it's it's been a, a mixture of the two. The, the first one I had uh, set my own hours. I got paid per hour. So if I and, and this is also where the the um, discipline comes in that you're not on holiday, you know, because I was working my own hours, <laughs> <laughs> thinking oh, I've worked six today. I don't need this extra two. Let me go have fun. Um, <laughs> And yeah, that that came to bite me in the butt a couple of years later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now now I, I'm working um, uh, normal hours, normal full time hours. Yeah, yeah. And we set up whether it's like at working at home or co working spaces or um, wherever we are. I know you. Yeah, you are a diligent worker for many hours, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I have seen that firsthand. And the other thing I wanted to mention quickly, when we were in Panama, you were actually were ending one job of a business that was kind of like no longer happening. Um, and just even just for like a minute, can you talk us through that? Because it's a very real thing that happens, you know, whether you're at home or on the road. And I remember we had some conversations because it was scary. You're like, what if I can't find another job where I can be remote? I'm going to have to go back to South Africa. I can never do this again. Like all the fears go into your head. Spoiler alert, you found another job um, <laughs> and have had two, two different ones since then that yeah. have allowed you to travel. Um, but just kind of talk through of, um, yeah, just what that's like and all the, I know our minds can spin, but like, I feel like you've had a pretty easy time when it comes down to it, actually getting jobs that have let you be remote and travel. Yeah. So uh, it was actually a, a little bit of a terrifying time, as you know, as you yeah. sort of understand. Um, uh, I had started a... Uh, my, my brother and I had started this um, a business together, a startup, and uh, it just wasn't making it. And we could see it coming. And I, I realized like <laughs> within the next, uh, I mean, we had, we had some time to figure things out, but it was going to be within the next few months we, we were going to have to stop it. So uh, I would have to get something else. And uh, I was, I was terrified of, will it be another, will I get another remote job or am I going to have to go back to South Africa, go to the office and, and, um, lose this yeah. um, but I really I made that my, my number one priority uh, in the yeah. job search and I, I reached out to hundreds of recruiters at the time and uh, just applied everywhere I can that I could find remote jobs and I actually had a, a few options lined up then after a while so I think um, having the 
the experience of working remotely. I think that that counted a lot for me. A lot of places right. want to take uh, remote workers if they didn't already have remote experience. Um, but yeah, eventually someone someone went for it, and uh, awesome. it all worked out. Love it. Yeah. Again, I think with everything as, as a coach and I was sitting there, I was like, all right, Brian, we're going to talk about this, but it comes down to like, you were, what's you your priority at that time. <laughs> so happy you were there. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, but those are, you know, real things. It is helpful to have a support system in place and friends to talk to and things like that. You and I were there together, um, as you, as you went through that, but I just remember talking of like, what's your priority and you wanted to keep traveling. So we're like, all right, like we will find, you know, there, there, and I had to be the voice of reason, especially <laughs> within your field of software development. Like there's, there's so many remote jobs in that. I was like, Murray, I promise you can find it. Like we will get through this. And and it all worked out. But last question I have for you, and I'll let you go, um, is what advice? So if someone is um, listening to this podcast and they're like thinking about maybe wanting to travel more, live this life, like wanting to become a digital nomad, but maybe they're where you are, where they maybe you have the house or the car or the, the cat or, you know, some pet or all, you know, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, all, all of the, I say excuses, but the very real obstacles that hold us back. What advice do you have for someone who's in that, um, who's thinking about living this life of, of why it's worth it or not? I think uh, if, you, if you've got the means to do it and you've decided that, that it is what you want to do, um, then there will always be reasons not to, to do it. You know, you're always going to talk yourself down and uh, think of excuses or, or not necessarily excuses. It might be very real reasons, but these uh, reasons are not um, are not unovercomeable. If that's yeah. the word. <laughs> you so, say unovercomeable. Unovercomeable. Definitely not a word. Definitely should be a word. It should be. It is from now on, from henceforth. <laughs> yes. In other words, um, they are overcomable. <laughs> unovercomeable. No words. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think yeah, if if it's if you do make the decision and and you've got the means to do it, then then just you have to just take that step. You have to have. I had someone. I had my family and my friends who almost pushed me into that step. <laughs> if you don't have that, you push yourself into it. <laughs> you have us. We're here for you to help to listen. Um, yeah, that's a good point, though. So I guess for you, Murray, has has getting rid of your place, your car, all the things. Has, has it all been worth it? for all the travels that you've had. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, please don't say no. no <laughs> I think, please, I yes. think personally for me, it was, it was one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Even though at the time when I was making it, I was terrified about this decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so helpful to hear. I think for every one of us, it's really easy to look at, you know, people on Instagram or social media who are doing this and think like, they're really different. Like it was probably easy for them. They probably just like, you know, had someone and and had no fear and did it. But um, hopefully as you'll hear in this podcast, like almost every one of us, unless you are just like a superhero, which nobody is like, there's always something we all have fears. We all have like, not just one thing with this. It's a huge change, usually like five different things that could hold you back. And it's just like, if you want this life enough to have all the experiences that Marie and I had in Thailand and Myanmar and all over the world, um, it is just so worth it. So any last parting words, anything you want to share before we hop off, Marie? No, just uh, thank you. This is really fun. It's great to see you again. <laughs> so fun. I know this is the closest we can get while we're like locked out of countries where we're allowed to see each other. But yeah. one day... We will reunite hopefully soon. And thanks for joining us today, Murray. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That is a wrap with Murray. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed some of our fun, weird, random travel stories of life on the road as a digital nomad. It's been so fun meeting friends from all over the world, people like Murray. So if you think for a moment that you might be lonely as a digital nomad, think again. You meet amazing people who will travel and do weird, fun things with you wherever you go. So if you are curious about working remotely, if living this life sounds fun to you and you'd love to find a remote job that you can do while traveling the world as well, 
Don't forget to check out our course, beachcommute.com slash G-R-E. That stands for Go Remote Employment for our course that helps you figure out everything you need to know to figure out which remote job is right for you, how to land the job, how to interview, negotiate, to work remotely, all of those beautiful things. And we hope to see you somewhere in the world very soon. Bye.